Lord, we ask you to bless this day. Think of your word, guide and lead us as we look at what you would have us to see. And we just thank you in your son's very precious name. Amen. Psalm 104. Let's see if we can finish it. Maybe. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great and you are clothed with honor and majesty. Who covers yourself with light as with a garment, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, who lays the beams of his chamber in the waters, who makes the clouds his chariot, who walks upon the wings of the wind, who makes his angel spirits, his ministers a flaming fire, who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever. You cover it with the deep as with a garment, the water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled, at the voice of your thunder they hasted away. They go up by the mountains, they go down by the valleys, and to the place which you have founded for them. You have set a bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. He sends the rain into the valleys, which runs along the, among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. He waters the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of his work. He causes the grass to grow for the, for the cattle and the herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth fruit, food out of the earth. The wine that makes glad the heart of man, the oil of his face to shine, and the bread which strengthens his heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, and the cedars of Lebanon which he has planted. Where the birds make their nest, for, as for the stork, the fir trees are her house. The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats and the rocks for the coonies. He appoints the moon for the seasons and the sun knows it's going down. You make darkness and it is night, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey and seek for their meat from God. The sun rises and gathers themselves together and lay down in their dens. Man goes forth unto, work, unto his work and his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your riches. So is the great and wide sea, wherein there are things creeping innumerable, both small and great. There go the ships. There, there is that Leviathan whom you have made to play therein. These wait all upon you, and you that you may give them their meat in due season, that you may give them their them that thou give them they gather you open your hand and they are filled with good you hide your face and they are troubled you take away their breath they die and return to the dust you send forth your spirit and they are created and you renew the face of the earth the glory of the lord shall endure forever the lord shall rejoice in his work he looked upon the earth and it trembled he touched the hills and they smoke I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise ye the Lord. All right. Let's take up where we left off with verse 21. And I know it's been two weeks because we had the concert last week. Verse 21, the young lions roar after their prey. They seek their meat from God. This is going all through creation here, and he talks about God being the provider. And this has been the theme that he's been following for the last few verses. God provides. He provided for the donkeys. He provided for man. He provided the grass for the animals and herbs. And now he's look, saying that even the lions, they roar after their prey. They're loud. They're, they're anxious. 
but they seek it in the meat from God. God is the one that provides. It says, the sun rises, and they gather themselves together, and they lay down in their den. So the, he says, the lions are out at night. And you know, most of the animals do spend their time out at nighttime. Man runs the daytime, and animals run the nighttime, pretty much. You know, cats are always like that. Cats, cats love nighttime. They, Rats. Yeah, everything. Just about everything does. Uh, the, most of nature, most of the animals seem to be nocturnal. Even your dogs, are, are, they sleep all day, and then they want to run around all night. So it's, uh, you know, so all of us dog lovers uh, have problems with our dogs wanting to get restless at night. And if you have cats, they really are restless at night. So, nocturnal. yeah, they're nocturnal. They're so old, they sleep all the time. They sleep all the time. <laughs> they get up to eat. Yeah, they don't, have to, they don't have to go hunt, so they get fed. And then in verse 23, it says, Man goes forth unto his work and his labor until the evening. And this is what happens. We get up, we do our work during the daytime for the most part. There are a handful of people that work at night, but... It's this whole example that he's looking. And then he goes in verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your riches. And this is so much, you know, O Lord, how manifold or how many are your works. We think about this. Everything that was created is a masterpiece from God. Everything. The intricacy of all the systems that are out there. The water flows down, gets lifted back up, and comes back down again, and flows back down to the lakes and rivers, and goes back up. And it's, you know, We see the nitrogen cycle of the earth that goes into to nutrition on, on the animals and the plants, comes in and dies and gets re, refilled in. We see just the system, the intricacy of the bodies that God has created. Not just man, but every animal has digestive system and the and a nervous system and the blood and then down to the microbes that have special designs involved in them the whole dna system that splits and and the and and all the stuff that goes in involved and the intricacies of what god has created and it's just amazing and it's more amazing that some people think it all happened by accident i, I was out this morning uh, 30, looking at the stars. They are so pretty last night. I, I know, and I thought, oh my gosh, and he knows it, the names of everyone. Every and they know it. And he's numbered them all. Yeah. Uh, which is amazing because the more we learn about it, the more we realize that they seem to be innumerable to us <laughs> because as Hubble telescope starts focusing in on one, any one spot, eventually the whole film gets filled with light because there's so many stars out there. To, be, to fill it. Well, they tried counting in the past, so. Now that we have micro, uh, microscopes, the telescopes, we find it very hard to count the stars because we keep finding more. And then we see galaxies that have as many stars as we have, so it's. All right, so it says, Lord, how manifold are your works. How wonderful is everything you've created. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your riches. In wisdom. God understands everything that he created and knows every intricate part of it. This is the amazing thing. And you know, he's created so much more than we are even aware of. <laughs> We've got to keep that in mind. There's so much more than we can even be aware of. 
We have the spiritual world out there. We know all we know about is what he's told us about. Possibility that there are multiple dimensions out there and, and universes out there for us to have to play with, you know, that he's created. There's physics that are saying there's more than one universe. And this is kind of an interesting thought that God has created multiple universes out there that he's in charge of that don't interact. It's amazing how big our God is. It's kind of interesting because C.S. Lewis had already talked about the idea of multiple universes back when he was writing you know, early on in the mid-1900s. He already had this idea. If you read the book of Narnia, the Narnia series, he talked about different places that had different rules and different activities and all these other things. And he, he had that idea thrown out there a long time ago. So how big is our God? What do I keep saying about it? He's bigger than anything we think of. And when we think about how big he is, we'll add to it. He's bigger than whatever we can possibly think of. And he has just expanded over the last probably 15 years for me and keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And no matter how big I think he is, he's bigger than that. Yeah. But the good thing is, is, even if physics proves that there are other universes pushing on our universe, God created them. So there's no out there wild thing outside of God's control. <laughs> our universe is plenty big, but it's, but it's still God is big enough to do multiple universes. Earth is full or abundant with his riches. You know, it's wonderful to look at what God has done in this world. And do you realize when it says the word riches here, it is not just talking about uh, financial riches. It's talking about the real riches that he gives us. And we as Christians really begin to understand some of that richness that he's given us. The peace, the joy, the love that he bestows upon us that really is the true riches of God. To me, that is so wonderful to deal with his peace. I love that he gives us peace. He had a plan, has a plan and knows everything that every single person that has ever lived is going to do. That's hard to imagine. Yeah, and what we've got yet to do. But that also is because he's outside of time and he's already into the future that we know is the future because he's already there. Yes, he's everywhere. He is outside of time, so therefore he is everywhere in time at the same time as for us. And that is something that's hard for us to even begin to comprehend. He knows the beginning from the end. Why? Because he's in the beginning and the end at the same time. He knows every trial that we are going through. And, and will go through. And go, yeah. And he knows what you're already, he already knows what you're going to do during those trials. He knows the outcome. He already One knows the outcome. Have. But he is greater than anything that has been created. He's greater than anything that we can imagine. And some people have greater imagination than me, but I mean, I, I just look at the scientific facts and he's greater than anything out there. Some people are very imaginative, and he's greater than anything they can imagine. This is the power of the God we serve. He is greater. He is more powerful. He is more than anything we can comprehend, and he will always be. That's why we have to be able to pick up a biblical worldview and look at the things the way God says rather than the way the human mind wants to think. And this is, we keep, I keep harping on it, because it, but it is that important. 
that we keep our mind on God's word and not on what the world tries to teach us, not on what our flesh wants us to believe, because our emotions will lie to us. The emotions will lie and tell us that you know, God doesn't care about us. God doesn't, doesn't want to do anything. And we get down in the dumps sometimes. We, you know, we all do. We all do at times where we just, everything seems to be going wrong, and we just get round up in what's going wrong, and we forget sometimes that God loves us so much and has a plan for us and has a care for us. And the more we can get that into our brain, the more we can stay focused on God during those times when our emotions are telling us you're worthless, you're terrible, God doesn't care about you, why would he care about you because of how bad you are, and we go, God loves me. There's a time for everybody that wants to be looking at God, so God's out there ready for anybody who wants to talk to him and listen to him, so it's just a matter of getting them outside of who they think they are into who God knows they are. But we're teaching, we're teaching people to love, so more, there'll be more love than anything else. Verse 25. So is this great and wide sea wherein are things creeping innumerable, both small and large and great beast. There go ships, there, be, there is the Leviathan whom you have made to play therein. So now he talks about the oceans. Leviathan. We're going to get to Leviathan because okay. Leviathan is, we're going, to, we're going to talk about Leviathan. And, but he says the seas are great and wide. And it's kind of interesting because the Jewish people as a whole have never had very good things to say about the oceans. They've been landlocked most of their time. You know, they, when David reigned, they had a little bit of sea coast, but they always had to go other places to find sailors. They, they've never been great on a navy. And there was a fear of the water. You had people like Jonah who was, you know, traveling by sea and thrown into the water. They, when they talk about the sea in the Old Testament, oftentimes they are talking about trouble and trials, and they talk about the waves and everything. The sea is not their strong. They don't look positively on the, strong, on the sea usually. But he says the sea is great, and there are many things creeping in it. And, and literally things that move, is, rather than creeping would have been a better, better translation of this. And you think about the marvelous things that are in the oceans. Even what we know about them, from, from fish to some very fantastic looking creatures. We've got porpoises, we've got the different sharks, we've got the different, you know, different types of uh, shellfish. We've got all kinds of very funny looking fish at times. And then he goes, and the ships sail there, and that Leviathan the, whom you have made to play. Leviathan. Leviathan is mentioned in the scriptures in five different places. Okay? But we're going to turn to Job chapter 41. Yeah, because almost all your water animals survived the flood. Dinosaur and everything else survived the flood because they were on the ark. Dinosaurs lived with man. It's very clear. And people go, well, they never got mentioned in the Old Testament. But if you think about this, they're mentioned frequently in the Old Testament. They were just called dragons at the time. A large reptilian vehicle, uh, animal that would bother farmers. And just think about this. There's stories of dragons everywhere in the, script, in, in, uh, the past. Matter of fact, in the Chinese writings, they have that they paid dragon tra uh, trainers. So there was definitely something that people called dragons. And if you were a farmer and you had a great big uh, brontosaurus coming in and to your fields and eating your uh, crops, 
You would be calling, you'd be calling the king and say, uh, get us some knights over here, get the army over here and get rid of this thing, this dragon. Uh, so, and we're going to, and if you want to read about brontosaurus and dinosaurs, go to Job 40, but we're going to look at 41 for Leviathan. Uh, verse 1, can you draw out Leviathan with a hook or his tongue with a cord which you let down? Can you put a hook into his nose or, or bore into his jaw through, through with a thorn? Will he make many supplications unto you? Will he speak soft words unto you? Will he make a covenant with you? Will, will you take him for a servant for forever? Will you play with him as with a bird, or will, will you bind him with many maidens? Shall the companions make a banquet of him? Shall they part him among the merchants? Can you, can you fill his skin with barbed irons or his head with fish spears? Lay your hand upon him. Remember the battle to do no more. Behold, the hope of him is in vain. Shall no... Shall not one be cast down even at the sight of him? None is so fierce that dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand before me? Who hath perverted me that I, that I should repay him whatsoever is under the whole heaven? I will conceal his parts, nor his power, nor his comely portion. Who can discover the face of his garment, or can come down to him with double bridle? Who can open the doors of his face, and his teeth are terrible around about? His scales are his pride, shut up as again as, a, as close seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They stick together that they cannot be sundered. By his kneesing, a light does shine, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go born, burning lamps, and sparks of fire leap out. Out of his nostrils go forth smoke, and out of the seething as out of a seething pot of, or cauldron. His breath kindles coals, and a flame cometh out of his mouth. In his neck remaineth strength. The sorrow is turned into joy before him. The flakes of his flesh are joined together. They are firm in themselves. They cannot be moved. His heart is as firm as a stone, yet as hard as a piece of nether millstone. When he rises up himself, the mighty are afraid. By reason of breaking, they purify themselves. The sword of him that layeth at him cannot hold the spear, the dart, nor the har harbinger. He esteems iron as straw and brass as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Slingstones are turned with, with him into stubble. Darts are counted as stubble. He laughs at the shaking of a spear. Sharp storms are under him. He spreads sharp pointed things under in, upon the mire. He makes the deep to boil like a pot. He maketh the sea like a pot of ointment. He makes the part of after him that one would think to be deep, uh, to be hoary. Upon the earth there is not his like who is made without fear. He beholds all high things. He is king over all the children of pride. Very, very interesting description of Leviathan. Um, he is obviously some form of very large, uh, probably more along the lines of a dinosaur you know, that we think of, please, uh, some kind of plesiosaur or anything. But we think about this, he's also some form of water dragon, would probably be the term they would have used in the old days, because he spits fire. And it clearly says that he gives out fire. So, so that we get, get, get that covered. Yeah. 
For some reason, because they don't want to believe that it is a dragon or a dinosaur, there are a lot of people who will try to say this is a crocodile. I have never seen a crocodile that breathes fire. I have never seen a crocodile that they couldn't stick a, stick a spear into. Now, yes, crocodiles are mean, and yes, they are tough, and you would have to put several spears and several arrows into them. And they do have scales, but they can put spears and, and, and arrows into a crocodile. So this is definitely not a crocodile, okay? Just like if you read chapter 40 about the behemoth, they will try to tell you in, the, in, your, in your side notes that it's an elephant or a hippopotamus. But it talks about a tail that looks like a cedar tree. If you've ever seen an elephant's tail, it's a little, little stub with a little bush at the end, and that doesn't look anything like a cedar tree. Uh, if you've seen a hippopotamus's tail, it's just a little tiny little thing, and I'm sure you would think of that, the first thing you'd think of when you saw that little tiny tail is a cedar tree. You think of a cedar tree on a brontosaurus, okay? Something of that nature where his tail goes out a long ways. So, but what, what are they trying to do when they put these little notes on the side of our scriptures? They're trying to say, well, we know that there's no creatures that look like these now. Well, we know there are, if we think back to dinosaurs, but of course, if you're going to get the world's point of view, man and dinosaurs don't live together. God created all things in six days, and man lived with dinosaurs before the flood, and I believe he lived with them after the flood when, because they would have been on the ark. So Leviathan is a very powerful creature that's been described. And people read the story of Leviathan. This is God, this is God speaking to Job and saying, you know, Job, uh, let me give you some facts, and you tell me. And, and if you saw there, he says, God says, I'm in control of this creature. Man can't control him. This is not something that man makes a pet out of. And so God is saying, you know, the very first thing is, who can draw him out with a hook? So we know it's not a fish. We, we know that uh, you know, they can't put a, the, and what we talk about, the fish, the harpoons, you know, he, they were even able to harvest, uh, and we can harvest uh, whales and everything and have been able for a long time with harpoons and we let them run and, and you know, tire themselves out and then they would pull them up into the ships and harvest them. In our older stories, Leviathan is probably the same description of the sea monsters that the old sailing ships used to complain about. Now, why don't we see them anymore? There's a theory out there that because our ships make so much stinking noise with their rotors and stuff and their sonars and everything that Leviathan stays away from them. There are probably Leviathans out there still today, I would think. They're just out away from being seen because of all the noise we make. You know, we make a lot of noise out of the oceans. The old sailing vessels didn't make a lot of noise. So are they still there? I don't know. Could they still be there? Possibly. The only way we would know that they're not there is if we were everywhere at the same moment like God, and we're not. We could not say that they're not there. We do know that people have seen things that have been unexplainable to our day. The sailors have seen the Leviathans. The Native American Indians have seen, seen uh, yeah, the flying pterodactyls. If you look at the descriptions of Thunderbirds, from the Native Americans, they saw 
pterodactyls. They saw what we would call dinosaurs, the flying dinosaur. Right in the desert, right, yeah, right where we live. And he saw some kind of dragon. He's uh, only this big, he's very little, but he looks exactly like, he's built exactly like a miniature of, dra of one of the... The Gila monsters. No. It, no? It, this breeds fire, but smoke. Okay. Every now and then, this little puff of smoke will come out of that little fellow's. Now, I don't know what they were trying to prove. I think they were trying to prove. Well, I'm not going to say it. But the point is, there is a creature on the earth, and he's not very big, and he puffs. Well, we have beetle. We have the the bombardier beetles that have a. Com a combustible material in them and then they it explodes and they go shooting across things for several feet at a time so fire fire exists in creatures that can be controlled uh, the dinosaurs many dinosaurs have an empty cavity up in their cranial area that they have no idea what it would have been for if you have a fire breathing animal it could be for combustion and fire so we have all these things out there the problem is that because you know there's all these people who believe you can, they didn't exist and can't exist and you can't do this and you know, but uh, it's so important that we get God's word says God's word says we need to it talks about flying dragons in the in the scriptures it talks about water dragons it talks about all these different things and they, it has always just been kind of thrown off. Well, they're talking mythology. No, they're talking real things. Well, the Bible talks, and we've, if you remember a while back ago, we talked about the unicorn that, uh, that was mentioned in the Bible. Now, when they talk about the unicorn in the Bible, they're not talking about the big white horse with one horn that we, that we think of. We, and we went through the different creatures that it might be. It could be that there, there was a oxen that type of big ox that had one horn that was so big that they couldn't tame it and it didn't, it didn't uh, work in it. Caesar and Alexander the Great both talked about these beasts that would trample their army and they couldn't destroy it. You know, these were huge. They made elephants look small in how big they were. So again, probably some form of dinosaur type thing and we can picture all kinds of dinosaurs that had one horn and stuff. So we don't know exactly what these things were, but we know that they existed. History tells us that they existed. Dragon legends are everywhere in the world. So they're actually talking about something that existed. Now, were they all fire-breathing creatures? Probably not. But we think of this. If you had a dinosaur walking around your neighborhood, you would be saying, let's get rid of this thing. And... As big as they were, they probably had thick hides. They probably were not easily killed. And that's the history of dinosaurs. They weren't, uh, or dragons, they were not easily killed. You had to put just spear in them just right. You had to put the arrows in them just right. Were many of them flying dragons? Probably not, but, <laughs> but we don't know exactly what goes on with this. But I'm just bringing this out because I wanted to bring up Leviathan because Leviathan will come up and, and as Lynn's version says, they, they put in crocodile in there and it's not a crocodile. It is definitely not a description of a crocodile. 
It, in some ways it might be because crocodiles are very strong. They're very, it talks about, you know, you can't put a spear in it. You can't put an arrow in it. And they can put arrows and spears into crocodiles. So we just wanted to bring that out. Uh, the other places in case you wanted to read about Leviathan are Job 3.8, Psalm 74.13-15, and Isaiah 27.1. So just in case you want to read the other scriptures about Leviathan, I'll give you those. Verse 27. These wait all upon you, that you may give them their meat in due season, that you give them that you give them they gather, you open their your hand, and they are filled with good. The nature recognizes that God is the one that supplies. We as humans tend to forget sometimes that God is the one that supplies. We, with our reasoning and, and, our, and our logic, somehow we begin to think that we're the one that takes care of everything. We look at the, the nature around us and, and we tend to forget that God is the one that put everything in place. He provides the grass for the animals that eat the grass and then they, they multiply enough to feed the, the predators who then have them because of the very intricate patterns that God has put in place. And this is very important because sometimes we try, we've, as humans, have tried to fix nature. You know, there's just too many of these things, so we introduce something into the system and mess it all up. Uh, they've introduced fish to, to an ecosystem that have no predators, and they eat up everything, and they keep multiplying because nothing kills them. Yeah, and we do the same thing even with plants. There's plants that get introduced into the system that have nothing that eats them. And before long, they take over the environment. So then, well, there's all kinds of vines, there's all kinds of trees, there's all kinds of grasses, there's all these different things. And God has put such a beautiful system in place. And every time man tries to get involved to fix it, because we think there's a problem, we see that it gets messed up. God has got the system so intricately balanced, it's amazing. And it says that everything is given in its season and God provides. And God knows what he's doing. And we look at all of what man looks at and he says, well, you know, we're having this you know, global warming or global, what do they call it now? Climate change now, not even global warming or global cooling, climate change. Well, of course we're having climate change. If you look at history, we've had climate change every 800 years. It's a full cycle of about 800 years. If you keep going back 400, 800 years, you find that switching back and forth between cold and hot. And we have the audacity to think that man's doing it. You know, Man is responsible for ruining the whole world. Yeah. You know, maybe we've had some impact with it, with our carbon, but you know, it is so small that it's not really worth. And we don't even hear about it anywhere, but you remember back in the 60s and 70s when they were talking about the ozone depletion and how we were causing all the problems. You know, the amazing thing about it is we have the audacity. We finally shot things through the sky and we found out there was a hole up there. For the first time in the six millennia that the earth has been in existence, and we have the audacity to think we're causing it. 
I have a feeling that it's probably shrinking and they don't, and they don't want to let people know because then they would be telling people that we didn't know what we were talking about. We have so little impact. This world and the way God has created it is very self-correcting. But by the same token, we are running at to the end of this world. The earth is slowing down. It is slowing down. It's about a quarter of a, uh, what is it, a quarter of an inch per, per year or something. But it is slowing down a quarter of a second per year or something like that. It's, it is slowing down. Why? Because God put it in motion 6,000 years ago. Just like any spinning top slows down over time. And spinning tops do it very quickly. But what happens also when a spinning top starts slowing down? It starts wobbling. Our Earth is wobbling, and it is wobbling at a greater frequency than it has in the past. Is that why we probably have earthquakes? That's a big reason we have the big, big earthquakes. Uh, the last big one that caused the, you know, was in the late 90s, and it caused a huge tidal wave, but it shifted the, shifted the pole and shifted the... Was it that late? Okay. But it, but it has our, but that wobble used to be like every 20 years and it's been moving along. We are due for another shift of that nature coming up soon. And it does cause big problems with our, our world because it's, you know, people will talk about somehow it'll flip over, the whole poles will flip over. I'm not, I don't think that is going to happen. And I don't think it ever has happened as opposed to what they're trying to say, because that is so, that would mean everything is going to flip and it's not going to happen because the, the spin of the top is not going to topple. It'll end up toppling before that and totally stopping. But God spun the world. We are close to end times and big changes are going to happen. Big changes and trials and all the problems that are going to happen but God started everything. And we got to understand he started it everything. He gives everything. Then, and I love this. It says in verse 28, you open your hand and they are filled. God provides. He opens his hands and provides for, for animals and for us when we just stop and let him take care of our need. We serve a God who gives us all, provides all our needs. Everything we need is provided by God. Verse 29, you hide your face, they are troubled. You take away their breath and they die and they return to dust. You send forth your spirit and they are created and you, re and you renew the face of the earth. Again, his power. God hides his face and things are troubled. Sometimes we feel like God is hiding his face. Job definitely felt like God was hiding his face when he went through all those trouble, trials. But when God pulls back for just a moment so that we can learn to trust him more and put our faith in him, and it says, you take their away their breath and they die and they return to dust. God knows when we're going to die and he is in full control of death. He lets people live to the whatever point that, they're, that he's going to let them live. But he's the one that takes the breath. He says, it's time. We're done. Whatever that is. And this is the good news for us as Christians. We need to grab hold of that.
Nothing is going to happen to me or you <laughs> until God says your life is over. But you don't know when. We don't know when, but he does. But this also is why we can walk in great confidence. Because we know that nothing's going to happen until God says it's time to go home. And I love what Paul said. He goes, I want to go home, but it's needful for me to be with you so that I can teach you. And I've said the same thing. As long as I can teach somebody God's truth and be an example, I want to be on this earth. But as soon as I get to the point where I can't teach and help people, I want to go home. I just want to say, God, I'm ready to go home. I don't need to be here. But God, as long as you need me here, I'm willing to suffer here on this earth, even though it's not seeming to be suffering because I'm following his plan. But when it's compared to heaven, the best of what goes on in this world is suffering. Okay? And God gives us the blessings to say, yes, I am pleased, I'm happy, and I'm joyful, and everything goes well if we're looking at him. But it is nothing compared to what heaven's going to be like. We need to really get that anticipation. Where is our hopes? Where is our thoughts? Are we looking to heaven or are we looking at this world? If we get happy with this world, we got problems. We're never to be fully satisfied here. And this is what Hebrews was, uh, chapter 11 was all about. All the people that were looking to heaven, the hall, the chapter, Hebrews 11 is the hall, uh, the hall of fame of uh, God, basically. Abraham's in there. Uh, all these different people, uh, great leaders are in there. And it says they were all looking to heaven. They were all looking to heaven. Faith. Faith. The, you know, but we need to be looking to heaven because that's where our ultimate hope is. That's, no matter what happens in this world, it really is nothing. All the suffering of this world will be rewarded in heaven for eternity. And when we get to heaven, we're not, we're not even going to think twice about what happened on this world. We're going to go, oh man, I'm here. And then we're going to have some rewards from it all. To, to, to go, here, you suffered, you, you put up with all this, here, have some rewards. If we really think about heaven and perspective of where we're at, no matter how hard things get in this world, there's going to be rewards in heaven for what we, what we endure. And this is something we need to be ready for. Looking and going, and this is why God says, all things work together for good. If nothing else, they're going to be good in heaven when, where we're rewarded. But in, on this earth, I've also found that all things work together on earth for good over time. Sometimes we see them, sometimes we don't. But in heaven, we will definitely get rewarded. So if nothing else, you look at it and say, okay, God, I'm going to endure this and it's for a reward. And then maybe he'll show you also why on earth. All right, verse 30. You send forth your spirit, they are created. You renew and you renew the face of the earth. So it says, God is the one that brings life. He's the one that brings death. We really need to really understand how powerful God is in all of these things. He is in full control of life and death. All right, let's see if we can finish. We're only four verses away. Verse 31. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. He looks on the earth and it trembles. He touches the hills and they smoke. 
this if you know we sing a song that talks about this verse yeah. come, this this is the place where that song was taken a lot of the song was taken the glory of the lord endures forever his glory endures forever it endured actually before the creation and it's going to endure after this world is destroyed and the new heaven and earth come along his glory endures forever we want to be able to really grab hold of that and the lord i love this the lord shall rejoice in his works have you ever thought about that god rejoices in what he has done mostly he's he's an artist he's created a great but yeah, but look what he's great done creation what he's got a lot to rejoice in rejoicing but look what we are doing to make it not so joyful yeah oh well, believe me we're gonna we're gonna pay for much of what we've done to his earth we're gonna pay for the sin that <laughs> destroyed this earth which is why he has to destroy creation at the end of the millennial kingdom and recreate it because it has been so polluted that he has to restart over and who knows what the new heaven and new earth is going to look like you know we we got a small picture of of the new jerusalem and I think it's so much more. I think John was having trouble trying to describe the what he saw. Yeah, you know, well, just the size of it is huge. But just we think about this. He described pearls. You know, who knows what that really is? Gold that is, trans, you know, transparent. Who knows what that is? It's, oh, you know, he's he's talked about things, and the best that he could talk, he just could describe yeah. things, and it's so much more. Is going to be so much more than what we had the picture of. And it says, he looks on the earth and it trembles. He touches the hills and they smoke. The power of God. He, can, he could just unthink this world in a moment. We think about this. The very atoms are held together by Jesus. There's no way an atom should stick together and, and exist in period. Okay, it should not exist, and yet it does. Protons next to each other should not be in existence next to each other. Electrons circling the whole mass should not exist. The electrons should be attracted to the protons, the protons should be blowing themselves apart, and yet the atoms exist. Why? Because Jesus holds all things together. All he has to do is stop thinking about the world for a second, a nanosecond, and the whole world would be blown apart. Have a big earthquake. <laughs> Wouldn't he be an earthquake? It would be literally everything would fall apart because an atom cannot exist in reality, and yet it does. And they'll talk about the, the atomic force that holds all things together. But basically, we're going, we have no idea why it sticks together. But there has to be some kind of force that holds it together. It's an amazing thought. And it says, he rejoices in his work. He looks at it. He says, and then David's response, verse 33. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Do we rejoice in God like that? Do we want to sing praises? Do we want to praise him like that? David's, David, David's a musician, so he talks about singing, but it could be just simple. I praise him, I, I enjoy what he's doing, and I, I lift him up. Verse 33, my meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. 
meditation. Not the Eastern mysticism where you sit there and you know, hum your one, your one little tune and, and empty your brain. Matter of fact, God's word when he says meditation is exactly the opposite of what the world talks about med meditation. In the world's meditation and, and mysticism, you empty your brain and make it accessible to the demonic world forces. God's system of meditation is to think about his word. Think about him. Put your mind in full gear thinking about God. And this is why I recommend that you read your scriptures in the morning so that you can meditate upon a scripture for the whole day and think about that scripture and think about God's word all day. In Hebrew, it has this idea of murmuring and just muttering under your breath as you think about what it is that you've been reading. And not just muttering, but you know, you're, you're thinking, the Lord is my salvation. Great is the Lord. Whatever it is that you're wanting to pray, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew your right, a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Whatever that verse is that God's putting in your mind, you, you, you repeat it over and over and over again. You think about it. You, re, you reiterate what God has said to you. You think on him. This is the exact opposite of what the other religions talk to you about meditation and their meditation is just empty your mind and become an empty shell and so that you can hear God well you're going to hear something all right if you do that you're going to hear demons that fill your brain with all kinds of thoughts God says think upon me think and meditate on me and it says my meditations of him shall be sweet Oh, when we think about God, we spend that time thinking of him. And then it says, I will be glad in the Lord. Why? Because I'm, he's filling my mind with his thoughts, his power, his desires, his being. And we think about his attributes, how much he loves and cares and his mercy. And as we think on him and we become more like him, we start to exhibit God and we lift God up in front of everybody that we deal with. This is the important aspect. This is why he's left us on this earth so we can be a picture of who he is to people. That we love people, we talk good things about people. When, when somebody knows that you're a Christian, they should know that you're going to be able to speak good things. You're not bringing people down behind their back whether they're Christian or non-Christian. We talk about lifting people up. We want to pray for them. We want them the best for them. And then the last verse. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth and let the wicked be no more. Pretty, pretty harsh words, but David is pretty big on this uh, uh, retribution stuff. My God might make the sinner vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. And that's exactly what is going to happen. When we get to the end, the millennial kingdom is all done, the last battle of Armageddon, the last battle of Satan coming along to try to fight against God, his last hurrah to try to bring people into sins, God will destroy all sinners. There won't be any sinners left. And then he'll start a whole new heaven and earth. And boy, we'll, we can't even comprehend what it'll be like not to have any sin. Because everything we do is tainted with this idea of sin. We as Christians can get a small taste of what it might be like, but we can still just imagine what it's going to be like with no sin. When everything we do is not tainted at all by no sin. 
we're not tempted, we're not, the, our decisions aren't tainted by making myself look good or trying to impress somebody or trying to earn something. We get a small taste of it the closer we get to God. We might have small taste here and there of it, but still, almost everything we do, if not everything, is tainted by sin. Even the good we do is tainted by sin. And he's saying, let, the, let him be consumed, completely gone. <laughs> And let the wicked be no more. <laughs> There's going to come a time when this is true. And then he ends it. Bless you, the Lord, O my soul. Praise ye the Lord. And this goes back all the way back to the beginning. And I know that was several weeks ago. But this is a command that David's telling him. Soul, I'm commanding you <laughs> to bless the Lord. We need to get to the place where we're telling our, ourselves, we need to bless God. We need to praise God. We need to make him happy. And then the last part is praise you the Lord. Lift him up. Lift him up. Keep him, keep him up. Keep him lifted. And praise. I love praise. I'm going to give you this word. Make a boast. Express approval, adoration, extol, and laud. Bless the Lord. Make a boast. God, you're wonderful, you're great, you're, you know, I can't do anything without you. We, we've sung the song, uh, you are the air that I breathe, I'm desperate I like for you. you know, do we truly have that attitude about God that we are desperate for everything about him? Yeah. Maybe at times, but probably not all the time. Maybe not even most of the time for most of us. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us, Lord, for how much you care that, Lord, you are everything and all in all for us. That Without you, we have nothing. We do not have salvation without you. We do not even have life without you. Help us to realize that and help us to share your love with others. Lord, that help us to share with people that they need you, that they are sinners and deserve hell, that you have a gift for them of salvation. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.